According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, an enigma is something that may be hard to understand or explain. In fact, some people might think of faith as being an enigma. At Our Savior Episcopal Church in Martinez, Georgia, we like to help people remove barriers to understanding faith, which is why we are launching this new long-form podcast series titled Faith Enigmas. With this being the first episode of Faith Enigmas, we are honored and blessed to have as our guest the Right Reverend Frank Logue, who is the 11th Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Georgia. During this episode of the podcast, Kiara Bouye and Bishop Logue will cover a variety of topics that will be enlightening and entertaining. Thank you for joining us on this journey as we seek to gain greater knowledge about our faith. Hi, my name is Kiara Bouye, and today I'm here with Bishop Logue. Hey, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, today we are going to be asking you some questions that were posed by um, our local parish and anyone else who uh, answered out those questions. Um, Before we get into those questions, I just want to start by saying uh, a lot of these questions are really important to the whole entire diocese of Georgia, and um, I'm I'm really excited to be doing this interview, uh, so we can just jump right in. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. So our first question is about uh, the like decline in membership of uh, the Episcopal Church and also like of the clergy. Um, it's basically what would you say to someone who's discerning and someone who's concerned about that decline in membership? And also, what would you say to that person who's discerning about the future of their role in the clergy? Um, and also, should we should we expect any more answers to the call with this kind of uncertain future? Yeah. So the, the wonderful thing about that is that we're not responsible for call. The Holy Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit is a, a persistent voice in the lives of people. And I uh, was consecrated as the 11th Bishop of Georgia uh, in 2020. And so it was uh, in a service that only uh, 11 people were in the room for, right? And everybody else was online. And what I found was in pandemic, the Holy Spirit used that. Sure, there were people who uh, found themselves out of church and haven't found their way back in, but there are also a number of people who we've been discerning with in the Diocese of Georgia where the Holy Spirit used that time to speak to their hearts to say, no, I am calling you to ministry. People heard that and have been responding, and we've got... we just uh, approved three more people for the diaconate and three people for the priesthood who are doing formation. We already had uh, five people studying for the priesthood, and then when you uh, and a couple for to be deacons, and so we have even more for this fall and September. We have at least six people to be talking to who feel called to be deacons or priests. So um, God has is not done with us yet, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm and using the conditions that you name to speak to people's hearts about this. So yes, we do see um, really around the world and across the country a decline in church attendance, and yet our neighbors still need Jesus. The thing is, we're, we're surrounded every day by people who are masking all sorts of emotional pain from things that have happened, whether it's been abuse or just never measuring up or whatever it is, a world that's telling them that they're not enough, you know, people, people hear they're not thin enough, tall enough, smart enough, old enough, young enough, whatever enough. Right. And yet, and yet we know that the God who made us loves us fully, completely. Mm 
That's good news people need because otherwise we have hurt people going around hurting people. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of hurt out there in the world, but the one source of healing is the God who made us and loves us and wants better for us. And so while I wonder about what's going to happen to the church, I know that decline doesn't mean that decline will go on forever. There's a new plateau that we're aimed at. I don't know exactly what that will look like. But I know that the post-World War II years were a very unusual time of return to church and, and regular Sunday attendance. And if you look back in this diocese, we've, we've been here for 290 years last year um, since the arrival of the first colonist. And right now we have more people as a percentage of the counties that we're in attending church than through most of the history of the Diocese of Georgia. If you go back into time and you look somewhere in the 20s or 30s, they outpaced where we are now by a little bit. And then it really got carried away post-World War II. So we're really, I think we're, we're the future may look a lot like the past in terms of Sunday attendance, but I think God will use that. I think there was a time when 1950s, 60s, that you were just sort of expected to be in church. It was the respectable thing to do. Now you don't have to do that. And so you need some other than cultural reason to be there. But when our worship is lively, the preaching speaks to your heart and to your life, people need that. And so I'm not, not worried about it going away. I'm worried about doing what we can to thrive. I think there's lots of room for us to do more. I think there's a, a lot of room for faithfulness. But when we are faithful, God will still keep showing up in the in the hearts and minds of the people in the way that I've seen people responding to a call to be deacons. Those are servant ministers who take the church to the world and bring the needs of the world to the church and priests who are ministers of word and sacrament. And so I, I, I'm optimistic about the future because God is holding that future. Absolutely. And I, I think like, you know, along with that, this kind of follows up with my next question. And I think a lot of the questions we got were concerning the future of the church. And personally, I think sometimes things look like a decline, but it's not like a steady mm -hmm. drop on a, on a graph, if you will. It goes down and it goes up. And I think we're probably seeing like newer people join and it's going to be a bit different there. Um, so our, our next question is about evangelism. And so a lot of people throw that around as like a, a dirty word, right? Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. the E word. Oh no. Yeah, it's scary. Like, I don't know. And, but there are a lot of people like leaning into it and there's a lot of people thinking about like, well, what can we do? Yeah, um, yeah, so yeah. what would you say is your opinion of evangelism within the context of the Episcopal church? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I do, I do hear, uh, E, e word, uh, is, is something that evangelism seen as bad. And that's when we're thinking of evangelism more like handing out tracks in front of a store or, uh, preaching on a street corner, real evangelism for most of us, uh, the, the, the New Testament is clear that not everybody is gifted in evangelism. That's the work of some. And the work of the rest of us is to live lives that um, lead people to, to wonder, well, well, well you know, I, I, want, I want what she's got, right? I've seen people who get through tough times in their life. And, and for me, there were people who are routinely reading and praying and uh, reading scripture and praying. And I felt like, man, those practices must matter because somehow those people understand that God's got this. And, and so it was something that I, I wanted because of what I saw the people who I thought were really living into their faith had. Mm 
And so evangelism to me is primarily about uh, being there for the people that you already know and love. That right now, you have people in your life, they're your family, your friends, your co-workers, occasionally a stranger in your path, but more often people you know well who will be going through something tough. And you can say, look, I, I don't know what it's like for you, but man, I had encephalitis one time. I was in the hospital for two months. This is true. And uh, and I really, I just, I didn't know what was going to happen. It was confusing to me. I was young. And, and yet I kept getting notes of people who were praying for me. And I had this sense that that was real, that those prayers were not just connecting me to God and what God wanted for me, but being upheld by the church around me. And, and so that really helped me get through in a time. And I've found that I like being there for people and praying for them. And so basically what you're saying is this is how my faith got me through a difficult time. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but, but this worked for me, right? You, you know what I'm saying? And so, so it's, it's a humble way of saying it. It's not like a, I've got the answers, but it is, I've been through some things and let me tell you, right? And, and so I think when we do that, it doesn't feel like evangelism in a scary way because really all you're doing, uh, maybe you're talking to the coworker whose uh, spouse is going through cancer treatment, right? And so all, it's just natural. It's just a conversation you're already going to be having. And then you don't hold back on bringing faith in Jesus Christ into the conversation, not beating somebody up with the Bible, not, not preaching to them, but being their friend, really. And I think that is evangelism. And then that's when you say, hey, you know what? Why don't you come to church with me? You know, uh, our Savior and uh, Martinez has, has got stuff going on. It's been really helpful for uh, me and Matthew. Why don't, why don't you come and see, right? And uh, people don't mind being invited to church. They're, they don't get upset by it. Uh, they may say no. They may not ever come. That's fine. But they're not going to be mad at you about it. They're not going to stop being friends. But we know that a, a invitation from somebody they trust is the main reason somebody who hasn't been going to church goes to church. That's the main reason. Now, church isn't the same thing as coming to faith, but it's a piece of it, right? Mm -hmm. Church is where that can get more fed and questioned and challenged and brought out. So I, I think evangelism is great. I think evangelism is a lot more just about how you live your life uh, and, and not holding the faith part out of it because you don't want to freak people out, right? It's like, this matters to me, so why wouldn't I mention it to someone? Yeah. And I find that there's lots of natural times that conversations lend themselves to that. And it's just a matter of being open to it. Does that make sense? That does make sense. I I have a, I have had a second question after this, but I almost have to skip down to something else because this kind of relates to how um, this huge topic we have about like young people in the church and everything. And for me personally, as a, as a young person, like I think it's, it can be kind of awkward to talk about going to church or like inviting people to church, but also these conversations do come up naturally. And a lot of people, a lot of younger people are interested in what different churches have to offer from the ones they grew up in. Um, yeah, that's right. It's very true. And and the, the thing is that I really understand why someone would be spiritual and not religious. I get that. Um, I, I sometimes say flippantly, but I don't mean it flippantly, that the only thing worse than organized religion is disorganized religion. Mm. And, and I mean it seriously because organized religion has done some real harm. The church has hurt some people. It has. Uh, but disorganized religion, what I mean by that is just believing in general and belief in general 
really doesn't call you to specific practices. Like a, a faithful Jew is going to have practices that nourish them in the same way that a faithful Muslim will have practices that nourish them. In the same way we think Christians can have practices that nourish them. But if you just kind of believe in general, then it doesn't call you into that. Mm-hmm. And so then it's not really calling you deeper into that thing you're feeling a tug for when you're feeling that spiritual tug. Because we know that everybody at some point feels, I don't know, the hair going on up on the back of their neck when they, when they go into some place and it feels holy or when it feels evil, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember being asked to go bless this house one time. And I thought, man, I know why they asked me to bless it. This place, this, this feels not good, <laughs> mm-hmm. not good. And so all we did is go around and pray in every room and then have communion in the uh, living room of the house. And the people who were living there said it felt better, right? That's something real. They were pointing a real problem with this house they bought. They had no idea of any history. They didn't know what was going on, but something about it worried them. And there's other places where you go and it feels holy and spiritual and it just does. It may be a grove of trees. It may be a river. It may be a church, a small one, a cathedral. But those experiences are really common. And I I know that God is using those to to reach out to people. And so then if we just add that piece of not being afraid to just talk about this thing again, humbly, not like, look, I got the answers. We don't have the answers, but like, this is a thing for me, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me what's been good for you. This is a thing that's been good for me. Right. And I, and I do think that when you get drawn uh, toward a deeper spirituality, it could look to somebody else like what looks like religiosity, but it's not. It's just a lived life with God, right? With a sense that God is real and God is with us. Uh, none of this is easy, uh, and and sometimes we'll get it wrong. Sometimes we'll. But what I find is that if if I said too much or not enough in a conversation, there's still the relationship. It comes back around, right? Yeah. If you're, if you're talking to somebody, you know, you know. Oh, I came in a little hot on that conversation. That's all right. We'll play games again on Friday. I can lighten up. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you put your foot in your mouth, but I'm like, hey, like sometimes I put my foot in my mouth, but I'm like, eh, I. I can still keep going. Like most things that we do or say, whether they're awkward, whether they're like, if someone says no for something or someone, whatever, it's always like water off a duck's back. It's usually like your relationship with that person is strong enough to push through whatever that situation is. It's strong enough to just say this church thing's been great for me. That's all. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Not no judgment attached. No, you're bad if you don't do it or whatever. We don't think that. Yeah. Um, I, I guess following up to that, um, there with, like I said, the concerns about like younger people being in the church, there's a lot of people who they want younger people in the church because they, you know, they know younger people have families and then those families raise their children in the church or that just a church that has young people in it brings more young people, which I know has been true for us because my friends invited us and then we invited our friends and we're kind of like, you know, having our whole little, there's a group of us now. Um, so what do you think is like the key to attracting younger people to the church? And with that, just adding kind of like what I talked about a little bit earlier about some people growing up, maybe hearing um, about like God's love, but not really seeing that acceptance and and, and love when they look outside to the yeah. church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, one of the things is that uh, a lot of times when churches are talking about we need families with young children, I got to be honest with you here. It's sometimes just coming out of a fear for the future of their church. 
We want our church to continue to exist. Uh, we came into the church when we had young kids and, and we, you know, we, we think that's the future of the church. If it comes out of that fear of the church going away, that's, that's not helpful really. But if it comes out of a genuine concern for other people, that works because look, if I invite you to church to save my church, that, that's not something I need to put on you, right? Like we need more people in here. Why? Uh, that, that's that's not that's not an invitation to a life giving thing, right? That's that's a come prop up this institution. Mm-hmm. And, and and I have a job that has me in charge of an institution, an institution I care about. But I really, I am only interested in this because it has something to do with the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ, not for the institution for its own sake. I, I've said pretty strongly in some places, uh, uh, probably a little too strongly, that the church isn't dying. We're killing it when we focus on the institution instead of what the institution is here to do, right? And so if it's about in, in the survival of the institution, then then that's that's just not where it's at. But if if it's about... I know that I needed this life-giving good news. I want other people to have it and then share it in a natural way. Then that's different for the young people you encounter, right? Then it's not an invitation to um, come to my church and start giving and get on committees, right? It's a different sort of thing. So so I think anytime we get into uh, church growth as a, as for the sake of the church, we're missing that it's for the sake of our neighbor's who need what this is. And then that gets to the second part of your question, which is a lot of times people have been raised in such a way that the reason they're sure the church doesn't have the answer is because they've been to church. They know what it's like. They've experienced the judgment, right? They've experienced it in the stairs. They've experienced it in the words. They've experienced it in the gossip or the backbiting or all that stuff. And what they need to know is that church like any other institution can be flawed and and there are places that aren't healthy but if you can find a place that's really just trying to live into their faith and it's different right and then it's uh, then you can experience that our love of neighbor is for all of our neighbors right for all of them neighbors who look like me neighbors who don't look like me neighbors who think like me neighbors who don't think like me and One of the gifts I find in the Episcopal Church that is in some other churches, but not all of them, is we tend to be more varied in terms of political beliefs. And I, everywhere I go, I, there's people that I will know in part from social media and how they put themselves out there, that they have deeply held beliefs that are in opposition to the person that they just saw and smiled at because they're genuinely glad that they showed up to church this week. Mm -hmm people that they disagree with that they want to be at the altar rail with. I see that in our churches. And it's not that those things that they disagree on don't matter, but that common we are this church and we gather together to experience Christ together. That matters a lot. And there's some places that just by virtue of the way that they preach and teach will tend to push out somebody who's more conservative or somebody who's more liberal that intend to happen in the Episcopal church. And across the diocese of Georgia, I see churches where people are gathering together with people that they disagree with and love, disagree with and love. And once you know someone, it's just harder to judge them, right? Yeah. And you really know them when you share things together, when you've sat down at parish dinners together and talked about things, it's, it's, 
it's harder to to judge them in the same way. Yeah, I think it creates so much more empathy. And I think that got, that kind of moves into one of my other questions, which is about like community in person and online. Sure. But uh, that kind of concept is kind of like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the term third spaces or third places yeah. is sometimes called, sure. but that is, you know, uh, for a lot of people that is, you know, your first and second place is like your home or work or home or school for children mm-hmm. or other, anyone who's going to school. And third places historically have been churches have been like your bingo club, different things like that. Yeah. And there's been a decline in that. And I think there's actually now starting to be uptick past uh, lockdown years, really, in those third spaces and people being like, I want to do this weekly event and hang out and yeah. and uh, have this in-person connectedness. But I think when you're constantly around people all the time who you care about and who you're seeing all the time, no matter what their political views, it's like it's, it's hard to feel separate from them. You know, you right. still love That's them, right. even if you That's disagree, right. like you said. And um, but moving into that. Uh, do you do you think you have any thoughts on how the impact of online worship has been for the community for connectedness and how can we both honor those who are, you know, want to be um, alone or maybe want to practice their faith by themselves and encourage others who want to be in community and be in person for worship? Yeah. So I have two strongly held beliefs about this that are in opposition to each other, and I have no problem with that sitting in my head. So on the one hand, I see how online things are real. Okay. Right now, you're sitting a long ways from me, right? I mean, you're you're in uh, Martinez, I'm in Savannah, and uh, there's a lot of space separating us. But but through the magic of the technology we're using, we're, we're looking at each other as we're making this audio recording. So there's that. But even if we weren't, we're hearing each other. And there is a real connection here right now. I feel that with you as we have this conversation. And it's real. And I don't want to be dismissive of online and the reality of it. Now, this is different from just watching a service, which is a little bit harder. Like we're, we're together in this. But I, I have found that there are times when um, I have been able to pop into another church, uh, even if I've been somewhere in the diocese, watch their worship and have some sense of that church and have some sense of being there with them. And I, and I, and I don't want to dismiss that reality. And for people who before pandemic would have not had the option, but now we've moved into it and they do, there's lots of people who have good reasons to, to be at home, to not be able to join us in person. And that, that that's helpful. So there's one strongly held view. The online community can be real. Uh, The other strongly held view that's in opposition to it is the incarnation is not virtual reality. The second person of the Trinity was made flesh in Jesus and, Mm -hmm. and, and our incarnated lives, our actual lives matter. And uh, we need to get together in real time and space. We need to look each other in the eye. We need to hug each other. We need to be together. And we are nourished by that. We were built for that. Um, really from from the, the creator of heaven and earth tells us through Jesus Christ that everything boils down to love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. So neighbor's right in there. So we were literally made for each other. The closer we draw to other people, the closer it brings us to God. The closer we get to God, the, the more God gives us concern for our neighbors, right? So and that happens best when we're together in person. So, so, so that's my other opposite view. Mm-hmm. How they come together is 
be in person anytime you can be in person. And when you can't, don't lose that sense of community. Use online means to stay connected. And I find it's really hard to build community online alone, but it is easier to continue community that's already been built in person when you're online. And so it's a both and, not an either or. I do think online offerings have hurt uh, in-person attendance for people that I think would be better served to be in person. I do. Um, and, and that can be a challenge uh, because I really do value the being together uh, physically. But it's a both and. It's a both and that leans more toward the being present physically when you can. Absolutely. I think the accessibility of so many things moving online and remote is like great for so many people. But I do also agree that like I, I, I know for me, I need to be in person. I need to be in it. I need to see my friends' faces. I need to make time for yeah. that. Um, so our yeah. next question is about, uh, well, a lot of, uh, of the ministries and programs um, of church are instrumental in spreading the word of Christ. And so when you think of really exemplary programs that you've seen um, in our diocese, uh, and ministries, what comes to mind and like, what are some things we can do to replicate them? What are like their best practices? Is there any like specific ministries programs, anything you can think of? I guess yeah. like this is a shout out, I guess. Yeah. So, so one of the, one of the big areas is there were renewal movements in the 1970s that continue today. Uh, the, the largest sort of big, big brand name one for them is Curcio. Curcio is a retreat weekend that helps people um, uh, in their life of faith. But we have a similar one for high school students called Happening. I've also worked with the one that goes into prison called Kairos. Um, and, and so, so these, what, what works out of these is also what works for education for ministry, EFM. And it's what works in a, in a good Bible study at a church or some, a good book study at a church. The core of all of them is sharing with each other your life of faith. So, for example, you go to Curcio, you'll hear a talk about something, and it most of them are given by lay people, not by clergy, and they're just they're given the topic that that works through the Curcio weekend or the Happening weekend, and they just share out of their personal experience this thing for them, and it's one person getting real with you about what this faith thing is like in their actual daily life. And so if somebody's talking about um, like uh, forms of prayer or whatever, they're telling you the good and the bad, right? Not all good. They're not trying to make it all seem perfect. You know, if somebody's telling you about reading the Bible, they're letting you know that, man, some days I struggle and I, 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 I start nodding off to sleep and I, and, and it, cause I'm reading it at night and another day it feels like there's nothing to it there, but some days it's like it was written just for me, just for today. Right. So it's real. And that's what happens in those retreat weekends. Uh, and then you break up into small, uh, small groups at a table and discuss it. And so it's, it, that happens at the church level through things like education for ministry from Swanee, EFM. It happens at the church level for a good Bible study, a good book study. Anytime you, the, the technology is something that gets people talking about their real lives and sharing with each other. That is transformative. And when you begin to do that with a group, you discover things about people that you never would have known otherwise, right? The person who was two-dimensional to you in some ways becomes a, a real person with their flaws, with their with their gifts, with with all of it. 
And the more you meet such beautiful people that you can be real with, the more it transforms your life. So, so, so the programs that I, I, I name others, we have a lay ministers conference that happens at, at Honey Creek that's designed to do that sort of thing. We, uh, when we get together uh, for any meeting, like the diocesan convention is a governance meeting, but we still want people to break up at tables and have a little conversation. That technology of just asking questions that matter and have people reflect on them with each other is transformative. Because what I find is God uses that, and so it's that, and and the the benefit of those um, renewal uh, weekends I talked about is they're actually all designed to create accountability groups going forward. So though people, my daughter went to happening afterwards, she began to meet with a happening reunion group where she's just meeting with people. Lots of groups will be open to, oh, you hadn't made it to happening. Well, come to our group anyway. You're a high school student like us. You just come on, you know, and you just talk about things. And so it's, it's, it's that finding people that you can get with routinely and share more deeply, that is transformative. And we have a lot of programs and a lot of names for them, but they're all designed to do that. Our um our next question is about you mentioned Honey Creek and it's, it's interesting because we got like a few questions about that okay. and uh some people are asking if there was any plans to increase youth events at Honey Creek and also um if parishioners are wondering if there's ways to make the summer camp more affordable. Sure. Uh, okay. So um, as far as uh, more events. Yes, we actually used to have more events uh, or before where we would have um, some middle school and high school events other than New Beginnings and Happening. And Joshua Varner, who's our canon for program and liturgy, who oversees that, is working on that. He's uh, going to bring back a youth council where youth from around the diocese get to shape how that works. And I'm sure that will bring more youth events um back to Honey Creek. I will tell you the thing that put the biggest damper on it actually was um, school districts clamping down on excused absences and you get too many excused absences and it doesn't matter. It's the same as unexcused absence. So my daughter experienced that when she was in school where um, people a few years before her had been able to cut out of school earlier on a Friday, get to Honey Creek by Friday evening, you know, and it, it got to be harder to do things happening. Um, team has to get there on Thursday. So some of those policies made it a little bit trickier to add up a bunch of youth events. And then when you add the pandemic to that mix, it really knocked it down and we had to build it back up. But, but yes, to, to more youth events, they're great opportunities for people. I mean, I, um, my wife and I, um, as laypersons in at St. Peter's Episcopal Church in Rome, Georgia, uh, got involved in high school youth ministry. And then I just stayed with it, ended up, you know, as a, then went off to seminary and became a priest. I continued to work with youth ministry, both in our church that we were founding and in the diocese. And I find it the front lines of ministry, because if you meet somebody later in life, and they're telling you about the friend who betrayed them in middle school or the person who, uh, you know, was the bully that was bothering them in elementary school or something like that. You see that a lot of the junk that gets in our head, these wrong messages about ourselves come in those difficult growing up years. And so to be with people in the midst of that, while those things are happening and to offer them affirmation that they are known and loved and a place that they can come to and be a part with other people. I have seen it just be Honey Creek, be a real um, 
holy space, sacred ground for kids who are um, late elementary, going to summer camp through middle school and high school, and and those relationships continue. My daughter's our daughter's coming into town this coming week for her thirty third birthday, and one of the important things for her is to get together with her friend Rachel and Rachel's husband Adam. They met at Honey Creek in summer camp when when they were in elementary school, right? And they were roommates for um, last couple of years of college together. Um, they and they've been through a lot that way. Uh, my daughter's best friend, she met at, in uh, uh, Kaylin now lives out in San Diego. They met in the pool at Honey Creek in fourth grade, right? And uh, they were uh, in each other's weddings, uh, maid of honor in one case, matron of honor in the other, because Kaylin was already married. And 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 those friendships that were founded there are strong, strong. So that matters. Um, then you asked about the cost of summer camp. Now that that's hard because the truth is, uh, we lose money on summer camp by design. We put a little bit of money into it, right, to to help make it happen. And so we can't lower the cost further and still pay to feed students given what things cost. But we can and do raise scholarships, and their scholarships are significant. We have them now. We give away a lot of them every year. Um, anybody who has a need can apply, and and we have the lightest of things. We, we're not looking at nobody's tax records. You tell us you need it, we think you need it, right? Yeah. And, and, and what we challenge is our ideal is if you can pay a part for your child and the church can pay a part and the diocese can pay a part, we've all got a third in and now all of a sudden it's affordable. We do that for a bunch of kids every year. And we really, we're not looking at, it's not about proven need. You're raising kids. We know you got need. Oh, we know absolutely. High, right. So what we can do, we do. And that is raise money for scholarships. So um, the the best thing you can do is use our scholarships aggressively in that way. If if somebody can't do the third, a third, a third, we still will try to find a way to get that child to camp, right? And I have found that that if if people see, wow, that family really is in need, and they can't, I don't see how they can do it, then we can go half and half with the parish and make it happen, right? Mm-hmm. And and if you use up our money, I will help go get more money, right? Mm-hmm. Scholarship money for camp is easy money to raise. It's hard for me to raise money to pay the power bill at Honey Creek during summer camp. <laughs> so I need, and basically, I need people to, I need the, I need the camp to charge the going rate, and then let's raise scholarship money together. Does that make yeah. sense? That's how we keep it. Yeah. So the costs are what the costs are. And then, and then let's work together on getting that money. And I, and I find lots of people want to support that. Um, our next question is about like historical preservation. So there's some parishes that are struggling to uh, preserve their history, their historical buildings. And um, do you think there's any capacity, you know, or, or plans to help parishes preserve their history in the future? I mean, I can think of uh, in our area in the CSRA alone, like two or three different churches that have stuff they want to take care of and save and just wanted to know your thoughts on that. As easy as summer camp money is to raise, building money is hard to raise. Money to preserve a building, that, that's hard. There's less grant applications for it. There are. I mean, there's there's certainly money available. There's um, pl- people who want to give to sacred spaces. Um, there's money you can get for traditionally African-American churches you can't get for elsewhere. There's money that you might be able to get for a church that, um, you know, has some historic significance because of an event that happened there. But other than that, it's hard. 
and you know, one of the realities as a diocese is people always look at me and say, Hey, Bishop, can you help with this? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, well, we've been poor since we were founded in 1823. Uh, and then when we divided the diocese in 1907 to get the southern two-thirds of the state, we we uh, had no endowment whatsoever at that time. And we have very little now uh, in terms of money that people have given historically, where some other dioceses have had, um, I don't know, been in areas that had very wealthy people who left some endowment. So we, we have always been poor as a diocese. I read that in our journals. And here's the asset. That means we've needed to rely on each other. Like, in other words, if, you, if you're relying on endowments, if you're relying on a, a bank account full of money, you, you, you got to do, uh, you know, you, you figure out who gets and who doesn't get. If you don't have any money, you have, to for, you, you have to work on, well, who knows somebody and who knows what to do and who knows how to do it. And so there's more working together. So, for example, I have seen the churches in Thomasville, Georgia, um, All Saints, St. Thomas and Good Shepherd work together in some lovely ways. And Good Shepherd has an important history as a center of really the African-American community in Thomasville with a school that was very important with just a, a lot that was going on. And and the other churches want to help with that. And so there's been assistance, not just on financially, but also in let's work together on how to get a grant. Let's work together on how to make that money go further, right? So so that's what you get when you don't have money. You, you get a, a spirit of community to do things. And so the best thing we can do for that is to um, identify more people with expertise willing to help their neighboring churches. Um, because sometimes the expertise is what you need, even as much as, as the money. And then once you get that together, there's ways in which whatever grants might be available come together, you know. And I've seen that in other places. Um, Good Shepherd Church in Pinnock, where Deaconess Anna Alexander served, who's now a saint of the Episcopal Church and the patron saint of this diocese, that church has benefited from expertise elsewhere in the diocese and really could benefit from some more as we look to preserve her legacy. So I, I, I do love history. I love preserving preserving it uh, when it's documents and that sort of thing. The Georgia Historical Society has long been a good partner with us. They have a collection of things related to the Diocese of Georgia and its churches. If we have documents that we're worried about preserving at the right um, pH balance and temperature and that sort of thing, they're on our team. They're happy to do it. If it's about buildings, then we need to to help each other and lean on other Episcopalians with some expertise. Our uh, last final questions here, I don't want to say heavier, but I think they're, you know, more serious topics. All the topics are serious, but these these are a bit... (laughs) Okay. I guess I changed the mode. Um, so I don't really think it's much of a surprise uh, about the demographics of our diocese or even on a national level of like how our, our the church makeup is. And that kind of brings up the topic of diversity, race, uh, inclusion, acceptance. Um, people are really concerned with the topics of race in uh, LGBTQ communities, politics, and uh, also how their fellow parishioners speak about and approach these groups. Um, you know, as, as Christians, as, <laughs> as Christians we're taught, you know, to like love and accept. And I think sometimes it's really hard to do that. Yeah. Um, so how can we, you know, embrace those that are different from us in our race, sexuality, gender, political thought, but still keep peace and keep love? Yeah. So you're talking about what in our baptismal covenant uh, is referred to as respecting the dignity of every human being, 
right? Mm-hmm. That's that's what we're we're called to do, and and that is not a side topic for Christians, because uh, we are told in the in the very beginning of the beginning in in Genesis that everyone was made in the image of like in likeness of God. Every person was made in the image of likeness of God. So the diversity that is present in that statement is everyone who has ever lived on this planet, right? So there is not a human who has existed who was not in the image and likeness of God. Now, sin being what it is, they may have done all sorts of things with that image. I mean, uh, you know, I, 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 um, I can't say that, you know, when you look at some of the great evils that have happened in the world, that some, some people didn't take that image and likeness and do some terrible things with it, right? But the inherent godness within someone, right? They were created for the divine to live within them. We are to be temples of the Holy Spirit. So that's that's equally true for everybody. So when we um, see divisions and live into those divisions, we that is a sin of falling short of seeing how God is in that other person. Christ is in that other person, right? And um, and so that that matters. It's not it's not a small thing. If if you see someone as other because of their ethnicity, that that's that's not of God, right? And if you see uh, somebody as other because of their sexuality, that's that's not of God, because we know that God loves that person, right? So we we can have different views about all kind of things, but we but we need to understand the basic human race as being something that God created and the diversity in it is not something that surprises our God, right? And so the the way to lean into it is really been hinted at all through this conversation. And it is about coming to know the person who seems other and then they're just a person. Mm-hmm. And the word you used for it earlier is perfect and that's empathy empathy or compassion. Compassion means to suffer with someone. Uh, and and the empathy is just seeing things really through their eyes. And the only way you can see things through their eyes is if, well, if I'm quiet long enough to ask you what you see and believe you when you tell me, right? This is the way I see the world. And this is what I, and here's some of the problems I see with the world, right? This is the brokenness I see in the world. And, and that's why when you asked about programs, I was naming the ways in which they're all designed to bring people together to get real with each other. Mm-hmm. Because the division in our world comes when we don't want to engage with the person because they seem so other to us that we can't really get to their humanity. And so um, it, this matters deeply. Issues of race are, can be hard to talk about because when you bring things up, it, it's sort of like uh, people feel, I don't know, getting judged uh, harshly for things like, well, well, if this was true, then, you know, but I, but I love Maya Angelou. She has a great quote that I refer to all the time, and I, I wanted to find the source of it. I've read her, but it, it wasn't in a book I read. Uh, turns out that it originated with a tweet that she sent. I'm sorry that that's <laughs> true. The world's broken, and, and, and the quote comes from Twitter. Mm-hmm. She said, do the best you can. Uh, with what you know, and when you know better, do better, right? So we don't have to beat ourselves up for what we didn't know, right? There, there are times when when I have gotten it wrong, and and I, I just have, and I haven't seen the full humanity in somebody. 
Uh, I mean, look, I, I remember it first happening. This is a, this is really stupid because I mean, this is this is um, you know has nothing to do with race. But I, I went to Sweden uh, with the Boy Scouts to the World Jamboree, and I stayed with a family and I'm meeting them and uh, the son's introducing himself to me and his name's Johan. And I realized that, Oh, that's the name John. And I just keep calling him John. And, and he, mm. and he's eventually like, effectively, dude, what's up? Yeah. I am who I am. Right. Yeah. You're calling me by name that you're just putting on me. And I realized that that's what we do to people. Right. We, we mm-hmm. want to put them into a frame that we know and see and can, and, and can hold on to, as opposed to letting them be who they are. I mean, I've worked with Michael Cheney here in Savannah. He's a Episcopal priest. He's a full-time professor of film at Savannah College of Art and Design, and he uh, is the pastor of uh, Epiphany uh, Church here in Savannah. And uh, he's worked with homeless uh, people a good bit. And, and, our, and for our neighbors who are unhoused, he's really good about Look, we're going to go into this camp. They need a little bit of help because uh, the the police are needing to move because of um, there had been a fire in this camp and it really raged through it. And they're needing to clean things up and get people. And it, it didn't go very well. It wasn't handled well by the city. But Michael was really good. He said, "We're going to go in. We're going to look people in the eye. We're going to ask them their name, and then we're going to call them by that name, whatever they use. And then we're going to offer to help them in any way they want. And that's what we're going to do. And if they don't want any help, we're going to thank them, ask them if they know anybody else who needs help and we're going to move on. And I found that such a beautiful way to move through life, right? We're going to look people in the eye. We're going to ask them what they want to be called. We're going to call them that. We're going to ask them if there's any way we can help them. And if the answer is I don't need anything, we're going to move on. Yeah. And, and I think that way of life is so different from what you began with, with talking about the divisions we see. Mm-hmm. And the divisions come when we just don't, when we think we know someone, but we haven't really come to know them yet. And of course they're other than. We're other to them, they're other to us. But when you've gone through that work of really just being with someone, it's different. It's just different. It is. And I think that like the root of a lot of these questions is people trying to figure out like, you know, if they, I feel like a root of a lot of these questions are trying to figure out if they were like, how can I still respect this person? Or I might love them because they are another person or they're a human. I might love them because they're a Christian, but how do I like not get mad at them, not respect them? But I'm like, it just goes back around to that. You just, they're just another person. And I don't really think that my personal belief is that people aren't don't come in good and bad. I mean, there are some historically some evil, evil things that people have done, but I don't believe in these absolutes of people are just good or bad. So when I see someone who me and them might disagree on something, or I'm like, I don't know where they got that take from. I just always think about like, well, there's so much more good in them. And even maybe that to them isn't bad, you know, and and just like thinking about what they've been through, what they're going through, and also just realizing basic level, they're human. I got to respect them. Yeah, like, yeah. and I think, you know, that means respecting what people want to be called. That means respecting um, people for being different from you. It, yeah. it doesn't, you know, yeah. you don't have to understand someone to love them. You know, you don't, yeah. you don't have yeah. to understand them at all. You know, I don't understand me. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, at some level I do. And at some level I, I wonder, you know, about, yeah. <laughs> but but the thing is that there there is something in this, though, for our life of faith, because um, we were made for each other. And, and Jesus knew the deep wisdom that 
uh, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and when he's asked, who's my neighbor, he ends up giving the story of the Good Samaritan. And it's really, it really ends up being that uh, the answer becomes everyone because mm-hmm. if this hated other in the midst of Israel can, can be the neighbor, then, then, then what is it? I love that story too. Cause, cause Jesus flips the script on him anyway, where he's like, so, so who do I got to love? Who's, who, who's my neighbor? Like if I, if I'm standing right here, how far do I have to draw the circle? And Jesus is like, oh, there was a guy who was wounded. He was on the road and he was left for dead. And it's like, oh, Jesus didn't start with you. Jesus started with the person in need and said, who do I got in the area? I, God, want someone to reach out to this person in love. I'm now starting with the hurts in the world and wondering who I got in the area that can help, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's sort of like, if you're doing well, uh, you're, not God's, you're not keeping God up at night, right? Mm-hmm. But there are people who are trapped in addiction, trapped in abusive relationships, sometimes because they just don't think they deserve any better, trapped in lives that really are, are not good for them. And, and, and those, those situations do keep God up at night. And I'm not even kidding about that. I'm just like, you know, there, I feel like there's things that we worry about and we argue about that God doesn't really worry about at all. Like I, I love what we do in church and I, and I follow the, here's our pattern for our worship, but God doesn't really care that we change to purple on the altar for Lent. It's just good if it's good for us, right? It helps us to remember what we're doing. It's a, you know, uh, giving up sodas and Lent does not like warm the hearts of the Holy Trinity, right? But us showing love and care and concern for somebody in need, that is what God looks at and loves. God, God, God wants that, right? Because God in Jesus already told us there was a guy on the road who was hurt and left for dead. And I tried this religious leader. I tried that religious leader. And then all I had was a Samaritan passing on the road. And I said, good enough. And I spoke to his heart and he cared for the man. He took him to the end. He paid for things and got him going. That's what a neighbor looks like. And that's just a very different image. Very different image. It tells us something about the heart of God. I am um, our last question. Well, I guess our last question, but we'll also, you know, have a little wrap up for sure. our last question is about, um, it kind of goes into, you kind of, you, <laughs> you kind of already got into it, but like that, you know, there's always been so much global conflict, um, in like national conflict, global conflict. And, and that is, you know, streamed into our homes and our phones and it's at the front of our minds a lot more um, than maybe ever because of the instant access to it. Um, what does it really mean for us when we pray for all people? Yeah. Well, for one, I mean, we can pray more broadly, more generically. We can wish for world peace and we can we can want the good for all people. But at some level, it also has to get incarnated. And what what, what it really means is... I can't handle all the problems of the world. I just can't. I I can't. You can't handle all the problems of the world. But we can see where given our gifts and given what the Holy Spirit lays on our hearts, what's the thing we can pick up, right? Because there's Michael Cheney working for his neighbors who are unhoused, right? But he can't also solve the war in Ukraine, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you do the good you can where you can, when you can. And the things that are on your heart that you have the gifts to help with, you help with. And and, um, the immensity of need in the world would not be a problem if all of us did that, right? We've got billions of people of faith around the world. If we would just live into our spheres of influence, 
that if, if, if we could do that, then that would make a, a real difference. Because if each of us takes where we have some influence and the ability to make the world a little bit better place with God's gifts working through us, not us doing it just by our own might and power, but God working through us, then we make the difference where we can. You know, I mean, there's, there's a, a Roman Catholic woman who I, I just really came to love in Camden County, Georgia, when I was there. What, what God placed on her heart was a, a better humane society, right? And she saw the ways in which it was falling short, and she put her whole self into it. She had a lot of other concerns, but she only had time to handle the one thing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and she made a huge impact. If she looked up at all the good she wasn't doing in the world, it'd feel terrible, right? But she could look and see, here's what we got built. Here's what we did. Here's the difference it has made for for, for this community, right? The same way I worked with people for Habitat for Humanity, you know, we can't solve the problems of housing, but we put those 32 families in a home, right? We didn't solve it all. But while we were doing that, we also kept it in front of everybody that we have to have affordable housing in this town. We helped pass better zoning issues. We helped the city council look at that, right? And, you know, it's that way in which you do the good you can with the gifts you've been given where you are. And you pray about the rest. And God doesn't have all of it for all of us. And sometimes you just need to stop doom scrolling. I mean, I, I, I do want to stay educated. I want to know about things. But me reading two more articles tonight about what's going on in Israel is not going to help anybody sleep better tonight, right? And and so doing what I can as I can. It doesn't mean that, that there's no way in which I can get involved in larger issues, but it just means that the weight of the world has never been on my shoulders. And so... Uh, I just don't get the excuse of because I can't do enough to make a real difference with the real problems of the world. I guess I'll just sit here and read through the news and get depressed. Right? Yeah, you can't do anything. Absolutely. Right. I, I guess on well, that we, note. We can do something. Yeah, we can. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because I think there's the idea that like if you if you're if you just take everything in and you can't do, you know. You can't save everything. It's like, I can't do anything. But there's this, there's this balance in between. It's like, no, you can do what affects you. What you said, like with within, with, within your gifts and within your talents and within your community, I think like if you're really concerned about like, you know, people um, in a different side of the world who they can't, they don't have food or whatever. Think about like, are there people in your community who live in food deserts? What, right. what do you, you know? Right. So like, cause we can't like, I, I don't, I can't say can't, there are people who go out and help people all yeah, around, that's right. but it's just like thinking about what can you do within your means, I think is really important. Yeah. 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 I remember, uh, my wife and I, uh, uh, we got married in 1985 and then in early 86, we, we took our honeymoon. It was better timing during the year. We spent two months in Kathmandu, the Kathmandu Valley of Nepal. Mm-hmm. And we were doing some interviews and writings. And I remember talking to the uh, minister for education for the kingdom of Nepal at that time. And he said, you're going to see beggars around town and you're going to be tempted to hand them something. He said, there's no harm in it, but really, uh, he, he named a few different larger charities. He said, look for groups, do some research on them. When you give home, give responsibly over time to groups that are making a difference on the ground here in Nepal, and that will do a lot more. The The few rupees you toss into the plate will make you feel good. But if you send some money along the way over time to reputable groups who are doing sustained good, then, you, then you've actually done something better 
for the person that you're worried about, that you're feeling guilty about. And that really just helped me see in other ways. When I, If there's an issue that seems too large and I really want to care about it, well, what's the group that's making a difference on the ground for, for people who are hurting in Ukraine? Well, okay, I'll give to that, right? Mm-hmm. And and we have those. Episcopal Relief and Development works around the world. I've, I've traveled with them, worked with them. They, they do some great good. They've helped us after hurricanes here in Georgia. But there are other groups, American Red Cross, others who do things. And so there are ways in which you can also have an impact on those larger things while working on the local things. And I think both matter. Absolutely. Well, I, I think that's all the questions I have for today, unless there's anything else you want to. Well, I'm doing a lot of stuff. I, I mean, I yeah. think the, the, the thing to me is I love the church because it's been a great gift to me. It's, it's, it's a broken arc. I mean, it's not, it's not perfect. And yet I find that God uses it in a dependable way to speak to our hearts and get into our lives and make a difference. And so, and so I, I love this job I have. I mean, I get to travel around. I Every time I'm, I go to a church and they'll say, oh, we want to see you more often. I said, I want to see you more often too. Now let me go go to the other uh, 65 that I haven't been to and I'll be right back, you know, mm-hmm. but, but I love it. We have different size churches, different uh, uh, in terms of the building, in terms of the congregation, all with different gifts, some different ways of worshiping within our same tradition. And it is a great gift for Victoria and I to get to travel around and to see that and to experience that. And, and in some ways share that on social media so other people can, can get the idea that the, the church, of the Diocese of Georgia are fabulous to me. There are great things going on all over the place. And I just love that. And so I'm really glad to get some time here with you uh, to have been at Our Savior, to be able to have this conversation, to be able to share this with the diocese, because I think the more we can see uh, the good that we are already doing, the more we're energized to just work together with, with God working through us to, to, to do more than we might be able to ask for or imagine. So thanks for this time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. You have a good one. You too. Bye.